Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 39 of Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatayo. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. She is the founder and CEO of national cybersecurity staffing company, CyberSN, and the not-for-profit organization, BrainBay, as well as a strategic board member of the International Consortium of Minority Cybersecurity Professionals, working to include more women and diversity hires in the cybersecurity community. Prior to founding CyberSN and BrainBay, she was the CEO of Percussion Software. Prior to that, the first VP of sales at Rapid7, where she increased their revenue from $800,000 to $20 million in just under four years. Prior to that, at just age 26, she was VP of sales for the national technical staffing agency, Motion Recruitment. Because she herself was hired as an entry-level college graduate, and trained to lead technology service organizations and cybersecurity organizations, she believes the tech community needs to expand its awareness of what it means to be in tech and what it means to be in cybersecurity. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome the one and only Deidre Diamond. Welcome, Deidre. Awesome. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure having you. Where are you logging in from? I'm in Boston. Nice. The heart of the city where it's a little bit rainy, but it's a great city. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I've been there many times. It's beautiful there. It is. I love this city. It took me in at 22 years old. I moved from California to work here and uh, never looked back. Nice. So where, whereabouts in California are you from? Southern California, Orange County. Uh, graduated high school in Irvine and then went to Cal State Fullerton in uh, Southern Cal. Beautiful. So let me ask you, what was it like your very first winter in Boston? It was hardcore. It was definitely <laughs> It was such an experience that the boots that I wore for that first winter that ripped uh, and had holes in them and everything by the end of the winter that the office had them bronzed for me as a remembrance because I went back to California. I was there for just the winter. <laughs> it was so cute. But uh, yes, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> Nice, nice. So, so Deidre, what I love about your company is that not only do you serve the tech industry in the form of cybersecurity, but you also advertise how you leverage the latest in technology in order to help improve your service and lower costs for your clients. So tell me a little bit about CyberSN and what do you do? Absolutely. So CyberSN is a national staffing firm. We have two arms today with a third opening. I'll tell you about in a second. But uh, information security professionals, both contract and permanent in anywhere in the U.S. However, we have our main offices in Boston and San Francisco. And uh, we also have a sales staffing arm. So cybersecurity, sales professionals, because I've spent half my career in both focuses, uh, it's really made sense to, to eventually, we, we added the sales of client requests. So now we, so we have those two arms and our third arm is our technology arm that we've been building since day one because digital job searching is broken, completely broken. I can't let a lot out. Uh, we have a patent in fact today as a, an appointment of kicking off some things for us. So, so uh, that third arm is uh, head, headquartered out of Pittsburgh or our cyber um, professionals that are helping finalize this product are located. So that's what we're doing. Digital job searching is absolutely broken. It is very difficult to lower the cost to anybody, uh, you know, 
even with everything that we've got because of how hard it is to find people with, with, with the tools we have today. And isn't it interesting, um, everybody knows people that are looking for work. So from the job searcher side, I believe it's broken too. Yeah, there's so much uh, emotion behind it being broken that's causing us all to settle and uh, either take positions that we might not have taken if we really could have seen that there was more on the marketplace or hiring managers who also feel the same way that there aren't enough people to, to hire settle after thinking they can't find them and the truth is the cost of finding them they're out there we are short over a million professionals however we also have cultures that aren't that great to work at so 60 percent of the of the you know base is looking and so but the problem is finding the, the right person for the right job based on how we find each other today based on SEO and everything that goes on with job searching or content searching it's really a disaster everybody feels that it's too hard on both sides mm. and it does cost a lot of money uh, to, to, to put the right team in to find them I can imagine. So you hit upon a word of SEO. So how does SEO come to play with job searching? Yeah, well, there's um, content that is in all job descriptions. And in order to get that content found, you have to put keywords 10 to 15 times throughout your job posting. And so it really clutters the uh, intent of communication, it makes it very difficult to know what somebody's looking for. What they what they're what they're looking to 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 match. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've all we've all been there searching for jobs, and we know how difficult it is. Why do you think it's so hard? Well, I mean, the, mo the most challenging thing for humans is communications and staying communications. Excuse me, and staying together. Right? Look at our divorce rates and how high they are, and we think it's going to be any different in the workforce where we actually spend more time together? It's not. And so I think this is the number one problem that we have is our ability to communicate with each other such that we don't have to have so much breakdown. Really our retention issue, our attention, retention stats are terrible. People leave jobs on average every 18 months. I mean, that is just so quick, you know, how acclimated is somebody? And if they're leaving at 18 months, how long were they looking? Because we all know how long that takes. And then how long before they started looking, were they unhappy and thus loss of productivity? So when we start to really dig into the statistic, it, it, it gets worse and worse in terms of our number one challenge out in the workforce and I've been around technologists for 21 years and only recently started calling myself a technologist uh, as, as I've watched the world evolve. However, I'm, I get that I'm, I, I'm, let's say in the old terms, not, and have been hanging around those who are selling them, selling their products, making sure they speak to each other, making sure they know how to speak to clients. I can tell you that it is, uh, we are behind significantly. And as somebody who's also been in staffing agencies as long as I have, I see it all the time. People aren't leaving because of money. They're not leaving because they're not working with the latest and greatest technology. They're leaving because they're not liking where they're working. It, whether it's their boss or others, it, you know, we can call the big bucket of culture. That's why they're leaving. And that just points that back to the origin of how the position was filled in the first place. Sure.
Yes, absolutely. And the person that left looking for a better culture, did they find it when we're all doing such a terrible job? And I say we only because I'm with this community. I'm not judging. I, I live in it. Certainly, I'm not perfect at it, although I do pride myself on, on communication. I think it shows in working with the same founders for 20 years in three different companies. And, you know, uh, it, it, in that I have lived what I teach and certainly what I'm preaching right now, <laughs> which is we, we have got to get better at communication significantly. Yes. For sure. So tell me about how your company works with their clients? Sure. So the, the number one uh, key to the piece of the puzzle is working with the hiring manager. Uh, you know, this is a business of humans must like each other, want to work with each other. And there's a lot that goes into figuring that out. And when uh, a resource like uh, the folks at CyberSN is assigned to an account. It's only if we're working directly with the hiring managers uh, and certainly having a relationship with internal human resources and recruiting to make sure resumes get to the right place and compliance of systems. However, our interaction is with the hiring manager and that's because they're the one that's going to make the call. They've got to be invested in filling the position and it's really about them owning, filling the job. So that's our number one requirement. That's how we work. We, we work with the hiring manager. Um, if we have that kind of access, we're filling jobs within 30 days and I, we won't work a job if we don't have that kind of access. So we're filling jobs in 30 days. <laughs> yeah. So that's the key number one for communication. Cut out all the middlemen and that's where the breakdown happens, I guess. Yes. Yes. That is where the breakdown happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got to hear it from the horse's mouth. We've all played telephone when we were younger and the message starts out one thing and it's totally different, you know, yeah. after you, you bring that to business, like, staffing and hiring it doesn't work at all it's actually a terrible waste of time for everybody and unfortunately uh it's what everybody's doing uh mm. in, in almost all organizations is it, it's since i joined the industry in 94 there's been this challenge of internal recruiting services of an organization and external and the hiring manager and the relationship between those three is is strained and challenged significantly because uh, there's there's a lot of power and budgets and you know things that go on and the on the staffing side it's a contingency based business so who knows what kind of recruiter one's actually working with because there's you could just about anybody could do it and so there's no necessarily blame it's just a broken system it's a completely broken system. And so our goal is to, as um, professionally as possible, <laughs> help folks understand that that's not the way to do this. Uh, we must, you know, uh, recognize that if some, if a candidate is interviewing with us and that we're presenting to you, you don't need to also have your internal team interview that person before the hiring manager gets to see them. And this is what I mean by it's a broken system because the, that, that time actually costs people whether or not they get to hire somebody. So meaning, you know, once candidates start interviewing, they go very quickly, mm -hmm. you know, and so you can't have these extra layers of interviews. And so there's just, 
there's the, the most of the challenge is helping everybody simplify their their hiring process uh, for us. That's our number one challenge. And I imagine it's really hard on on a candidate as well, going through multiple levels of interviews and they're interviewing multiple companies. It must be really hard on them. It is. Imagine that everybody's working that's looking in you know, 98% and information security professionals and sales professionals, they're 10, 12 hour days in you know the office around other people. So to take a phone call, never mind go to an interview is is a lot of work and it's actually the i think one of the main reasons why people end up settling is the work of finding work is so stressful they're hiding from their colleagues they're hiding from their bosses who potentially there's lots of those people that they enjoy and like and so to hide it is really awful feeling and uh, and they're worried about getting caught. And do people know? Am I going to get fired? Is is somebody picking up on what I'm doing? Because I am doing it. I am finding ways to do it. Thus, when the offer comes, the first offer, I find a lot of people say, "Well, maybe I won't find exactly what I'm looking for. This is close enough." Especially the more senior they get, and um, and that really bothers me <laughs> versus I'm so excited about this, right? So we, we really encourage people, you know what, unless you're really excited, don't do it. Uh, it's it's going to happen again. I see it in 12 months. You'll do it again. You'll feel this way again. So job searching is so hard. I believe it's actually creating the retention stats in a, in a, in a very big way, not the only thing that's creating them. It is definitely a piece of it. Wow, you described that very well. And that makes perfect sense as to why they leave so fast because they were just settling when they came in. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's really, uh, you know, been eye-opening in the information security industry because when I was staffing strictly tech, software engineers, IT professionals, there's such volume of those jobs. It's a lot easier to see more than two or three opportunities that are really good for the person. In cyber, I find it much more difficult because there's only typically a few <laughs> in each company versus a hundred or hundreds, you know, or 50. So maybe, a, maybe that makes me feel it even more. Uh, that being said, when you look at the stats for software and IT professionals, they're the same for retention. So you know, it's highly likely that it's happening there too. Gotcha. So how does your company work that's different than uh, Joe Schmo recruiting agency? Well, we only do cyber. So, uh, well, even you'll find some agencies say that the truth is if you look at their job postings, you'll see IT and software and what have you. Uh, we really truly only service the cyber industry and um, we are thought leaders in the industry. So both our cyber leadership uh, and our CSO chief security officer and myself are um, and others on our, in, on, in our organization, but mostly us are out in the community giving back on a regular basis. So I do a lot of speaking around soft skills. I'm uh, speaking tomorrow. Uh, Dom does a lot of talks around, you know, securing our environments. And, uh, and so we do a lot of community work. And um, the other thing that 
that really differentiates us is that um, we assign directors and those directors are uh, forever with that client. So we really seek to build a relationship that continues versus a one time. And these folks have, have definitely worked with me at other companies and <laughs> employee owned, everybody speaks cyber. So not only do we service cyber, we all speak cyber, which is probably the, the better way to put it. Right. You know, the actual industry, not just how to hire people. Yeah. Yes, we know, and we know what the words mean. Uh, gotcha. yeah, yeah. So, Deidre, who would be an ideal client for your company? And in, uh, anybody who seriously wants to fill their job, I can tell tell you that we staff for everybody as large as you know, and as as known as Amazon, down to small startups. And the key is the hiring manager. Is the hiring manager in the game? And as long as that's the case, it doesn't matter to me. You know, I understand how to work with big companies and compliance. We all do. It's not a turnoff for us. The, the, the number one turnoff is whether the hiring manager's around. And we, you know, you, as, as much as um, I'd love to say that, uh, you know, people get it right away, they don't. There's a lot of time that we have to put into selling an organization on giving us that kind of access, getting that hiring manager to, to put that kind of time in so that we can work for them, service them. There's actually a lot of work that goes into selling that, believe it or not. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Brain Babe. Yeah. So what's yeah. that? <laughs> hashtag, hashtag Brain Babe started off as a social movement. I was uh, preparing for RSA, which is the largest cybersecurity um, convention of the year. It's always in San Francisco, and this was three years ago, and someone on my team brought in an article how RSA was asking for uh, vendors who, you know, come to put their booths up at conventions not to um, dress women scandalously, and booth, they, you know, the idea was let's stop having booth babes. And uh, I remember reading the article really excited with some teammates in my room, in my office. And I said, this is, this is so cool. I'm so glad they're doing that. And then two seconds later, my brain went, why don't, and, but why don't we train them? Why don't we train their brains? You know, as a woman who was trained out of college with a social criminal justice degree, trained by tech professionals how to sell and service uh, I just quickly went to, why don't we train them? Why don't we make them brain babes? And so we wore hashtag brain babe, you know, booth babe crossed out with hashtag brain babe on our shirts. And we went to RSA and it was about 12 of us at the time. It was our first year of business. And, um, and we wore them. And next thing I know, I was being asked to speak and, uh, at Microsoft and other places. And I, as, as crazy as this sounds, I, I really realized how rare my career is and how rare it is to be me as a female. And because I had worked for the same men, literally, for 20 years, whose sex never came into the picture, uh, never minded race or religion, it just was performance. And we're, we were probably, I, not probably, we were about 40% women uh, in all of our companies. It never, it truly didn't dawn on me. And so here I am now, you know, starting my own company, getting, you know, you know, changing uh, sort of what I do on a daily basis and being out in the community is a piece of that. I realized that 
that unfortunately my career was rare. So I took that brain babe hashtag brain babe platform and started doing a lot of public speaking about uh, bringing how, why, why don't we have more women in tech and what's happening to women in tech. And then I realized, wow, I'm helping bring women into tech and our retention stats are terrible. And so then I was like, oh gosh, I got to, I got to do some training on communication skills, measurable agreements, and how do you make them and measure them? Because that's like the number one thing, a breakdown. And so, I, so I started uh, publicly speaking about those things so that I don't feel guilty about bringing women into a space that's actually uh, showing that they're leaving faster than they're coming in. And, uh, you know, it literally hits me and that's, I'm thinking of it, I'm like, gosh, these, there's, these careers are so great. There's great money, there's great travel, and there are great men around. And so uh, the platform has now morphed into um, a not-for-profit that uh, is um, staffing conventions. So it took me a little bit to really figure out how to get rid of booth babes beyond all my talking. And, you know, I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, all we did is reclothe them. We, you know, we, we put t-shirts on them, you know? And that hit me last year when I went to RSA. Oh gosh. And so I thought, well, we own a staffing company. We know how to staff. Let's have brain babes staff these conventions with STEAM students, you know, uh, STEM with the A and the arts, which we need, um, hence my background. So anyhow, um, we now staff conventions with STEAM students who are going to not only be more interested and interesting in what's going on, they're male, female, they're also going to, in my opinion, it's also going to bridge this gap that we have, the skills gap and getting more women uh, and men, however, I'm going to focus definitely on the young girls to uh, look at our profession, come to our conventions, work a conference, teach you how to introduce yourself, teach you how to talk to folks, those types of things. So, so Brain Babe has really morphed from a social movement of just you know, saying, hey, tr let's train more women, let's, 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 what about their brains, let's not just reclothe them, how about we train them, how about they actually know what you're what you're selling and can talk about it because they can't. I, I, see, I see them showing up saying, what booth am I working in? Does anybody know what they do, you know, all the, you know, all the time. So, so that's what it's morphed into. And we're moving into even, you know, more bridging the gap and doing things with IOC Squared and SANS, which are the two big, you know, training institutes for cyber and getting more women uh, uh, into cyber. That's really nice. And high tech is really daunting and intimidating uh, for young people, especially for girls. So it's a really nice thing that you're doing. Yeah, it's so fun to watch young girls and just women in general that maybe are in a different field understand that there's something here for them and, and, and that they could take these careers on. It's really fun to watch that happen. So thank you. And I'm enjoying it immensely. I could imagine. Sure. With regards to Brain Babe, are, are there any stories that you could think of where somebody came in completely fresh and raw and they applied the skills they learned and were able to move up in their career? Yeah, I would say, you know, I would say that we don't, we don't necessarily give trainings ourselves to these uh, folks yet. We're actually creating the curriculum so that we can feed the institutes. 
I can tell you that the, the uh, folks that come to my talks and hear how to, uh, how to go have a conversation with their boss, how to ask for uh, the training they need or the support that they need. I've seen that time and time again. And, and men and women, my events are 50-50 are because I'm always saying, us women aren't going to change things. <laughs> if it's run by men, which is 95% men, then the men are the only ones that are going to change things. So I bring men and women to events and say, let's talk about win-win communication. Let's talk about making measurable agreements and managing those measurable agreements. And through that, I've seen lots and lots of success of folks having stronger relationships at work, uh, having conversations that they thought were difficult and, and getting what they wanted from those conversations. Um, so we see, we see a lot and that's the one, you know, real service that I provide today is being out there teaching that content, um, staffing the booths to work the conferences um, we just launched uh, two months ago. So our first conference is coming up. And I do expect that those folks will um, get internships, find jobs from meeting folks. And I can't wait to share those stories. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, that's a really good point you bring up, which is the networking element where by default, most people, especially people just starting in their career, may not even appreciate what that brings them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the best part about those events. And, and we all know, those of us that have been around for a little bit, it's all about who you know. We heard that our whole lives. So it, it's actually true. <laughs> uh, so absolutely. And the booth babes aren't interested in that, right? They're not there for that. Now, I argue that if they were coached to be there for that and that they had you know, somebody at, speaking to them about it and, and showing them how interesting it is and giving them advice, they would be. So I encourage anybody that's actually working for a mo an agency that, you know, is in school or has a degree uh, that's doing that kind of work, because it is good money, to, to, to come to SteamCon because we're going to train them to show up and, and be able to participate in this community versus be there to to use their looks only. So let's say we have this young lady who is uh, graduating college. How would she participate in uh, that community? Uh, at brainbabe.org, she would register as a uh, work a conference. It's right on the homepage. There's staff a conference, staff a con, work a con. And uh, if she registers, we post conference jobs and we email and we call you know, to fill those, to fill those roles as they come. That sounds great. So when is uh, the next conference in New York? I know, right? <laughs> I know we are, we are full steam ahead. So RSA this year was in April or February, February. And it was February where it hit May. Literally, I was at RSA checking in uh, and one of my colleagues was checking in. He came back to where I was standing. He said, I got to tell you this story. He said, you see that very attractive young woman? I said, yes, I do. He said, she just said, I'm here to work a booth. I have no idea. I, I lost my wallet on the train, you know, coming from afar. And right then I said, my gosh, what a wasted opportunity. We could have our students here. And uh, that's where it was born. Uh, that is exactly where SteamCon convention was born. And we launched it two months ago. And and we will, and we will be in New York 
because I don't think there's a soul that doesn't get how, how great this is for everybody, everybody, you know, it's just win-win. So we expect New York to embrace us. Absolutely. And all tech conferences doesn't need to be cyber. It doesn't matter. Any conference, actually, I, I would do to get rid of booth babes. You know, the truth is, as silly as it sounds sometimes, the truth is it bleeds into our cultures. It really does. And women are really challenged in working in the environments that they're working in today. And so it actually hurts us significantly. And, it's, and it hurts those women, those young girls who who's, uh, our community is only taking advantage of for their looks. We're not going to put any time into making sure they understand or have some knowledge of our services or our products. I mean, so, somebody's not even willing to invest a couple of hours to, to educate that. What are, what are we saying about our, how we value our young women? in this in this culture if we're doing that and so i i feel like hey i've provided the solution let's get to it and you know <laughs> i get how the solution has sort of never been there it's here so in in the next two years if there are still booth babes i'm going to start calling out companies like you can't believe because there is no reason not to do it right now we've got our we've just got to get out there and let everybody know and you know uh make it happen however I, again, I'm willing to take the, the current booth babes and give them what they need to, 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 to actually have a career here. So there's no judgment. It's just we're not training the brains at all. That's why it's brain babe. I love your mission. Uh, so how would a company work with brain babe when they're putting on an event? Yeah. Same thing, uh, reach out to us uh, for a conference worker and we will figure out exactly what your need is. We have an offering for strictly, you know, uh, somebody that's there to man the booth and have a high level conversations. We also are going to, and this is something we were asked the other day, to provide demo services to so somebody that can demo the product. Uh, so either uh, need, we can be contacted through brainbabe.org. Very good. So Deidre, these are two wonderful endeavors that you've created. How did you get started in this career? Yeah, sure, it's a great question. So uh, I answered an ad in uh, December of 93 that said, can you think on your feet after being fired from working at a group home because I have a social criminal justice degree and the kids were really mistreated. And so I used to write up the superiors because I saw this book in the, you know, the conference room where I was said, you know, you write things down. So of course I was fired at my like 85th day. Uh, devastated and uh, so I went to a career counseling and, and this lovely woman said to me you need to be in sales and, and management and I didn't even know what that meant at the time but she showed me how to sort of get out there and sell myself and write my resume and I started answering ads and one of them said can you think on your feet sales and I ran into two serial entrepreneurs that had a small group of about um, 15 people that they had started an entry-level training program of building um, sales professionals in IT and software staffing so I was brought into that world and uh, trained to um, to build staffing agencies and I did that for 13 years with those founders. And then they're serial entrepreneurs. Had Rapid7 was a company they had started and wanted to do something with sales. And so they asked me to move over there after 13 years. And I made that jump and 
you know, Rapid7 went public three years ago, just about, I think, maybe it's two, I can't remember now, but um, that was a huge success. And then they asked me to go uh, to another software company of theirs, and I went and did that. And so for me, you know, I, I'm, I lucked out. That's why when I realized, holy cow, how rare and lucky I am, I got to get out there and help because it can be so different if we're really willing to invest in people and provide training programs and think ahead and have uh, a way for people to move up and grow. People don't leave. I never even thought about leaving. It wasn't even a question on my mind. And I was in recruiting. I didn't, I've never made a resume since that day with that woman when I was 21 years old. So still to this day, I have not made a resume since. Uh, and so it's really, it really motivates me to, to help folks understand that these cultures can exist. That's how I started. Gotcha. So as you were building your career, what were some of the challenges that you faced? You know, I think that the number one challenge is how to keep your health and work in, in today's world of uh, fast, fast pace. You know, you're talking big money uh, and uh, big hours, big hours. So, you know, I was in the bullpens by 7.15 in the morning. And, you know, if I was home at midnight, one o'clock for my first 20 years, that was pretty normal. And I found myself at 28 pretty unhealthy. And, uh, and that's when I discovered yoga and a few other things, because I said, Oh, no, this is not ending. This is just starting. <laughs> and but I'd say I'd say the health balance of how to be, you know, an entrepreneur that's productive and not lose, not lose my health. That's been that was sort of, sort of the most challenging, because it was the only point that I almost did lose the opportunity was because of my health, you know, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and working 18 hours. <laughs> Even at 28, my body was like, I don't think so. Even, you know, eight years in. <laughs> you know, you find that, that as entrepreneurs, we are so driven uh, to just work, 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 and just keep things moving where sometimes we need to take a step back and actually go to sleep. Absolutely. Sleep, exercise, eating right. But for me, it was all three and quitting smoking. I mean, two packs of cigarettes is not good. Uh, it's all of it. How do you? And so I've invented things like walking and talking. It started for me about 12 years ago, you know, East West Coast offices. And you're even working more, right? So, you know, I walk and talk probably two hours a day at this for the last 10 years of my life. Uh, I incorporate, I did it also by uh, bringing in yoga rooms into my offices because so yoga is something I love, but also I know others love. And so bringing, so it's in the office, so I don't have to go anywhere. And so I've worked, you know, I've definitely put in the effort to uh, be able to do both, not necessarily lose the hours. So that's nice. And you know, goodness, I didn't, I didn't raise kids either. So I just, you know, to me, it's like, how does everybody do it? Uh, so I seek to really help everybody by bringing as much support in as I can. <laughs> I think that one is, is a really big point because yes, I've got kids and it's hard. It's hard because you, you have a responsibility, you know, when you're on your own, if the money's not coming in, okay, you know, you starve a few days, that's okay, no one's going to die. But when you have kids and things aren't working out, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, totally. 
you know, I feel like I have hundreds of kids. So I was really satisfied, really young with kids. For whatever reason, I've been mature as a young person. And so, uh, you know, leadership uh, was, it was easy for me. Uh, and so yet I couldn't remember, I couldn't imagine having all of those kids and then actually going home to real kids. Uh, you know, kids, what I mean is I'm responsible for their success. That's how I was trained. If you're in leadership, you're responsible. You throw the rope over, you make sure that, uh, uh, that the, they, they have the help that they need. And, uh, and so, yeah, I can't imagine, and, and I'm hoping all leaders are doing this, then going home and doing it for little ones too. Now I have lots of nieces and nephews, so I'm pretty sure I, I get it. <laughs> which is why I'm so compassionate to my staff, my team, you know. Uh, and in fact, we, when we first launched CyberSN, our only business model was a lot of the women, uh, was remote um, staffing specialists and their women that worked for me at my last organization who are mothers now. So they used to run high velocity bullpens where they've trained lots of youngsters in, in technical recruiting and now have children and want to be more part of their lives. And so they're the ones that I built uh, this organization with recognizing that this could be great for them and, and uh, as well. And it, it was, it is, we're so uh, thankful all of us to have created this together so that they can uh, still be at home with their kids and do what they used to do in bullpens by using video technology. You know, it's pretty cool. It is, you know, just like we're chatting here today with te technology, uh, 300 miles apart or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really believe, you know, with senior resources, skilled resources, it's, it's game changing for their quality of life to be able to do it when you're training juniors really hard. So, you, you know, so, so we've got bullpens <laughs> because you can't train the juniors without them, but there's no reason why not to. And so it's really fun to see these women who have run these bullpens and uh, still have great satisfying careers and because of technology can do what they do at home and still take the kids in the morning and pick them up and be at games without long commutes. And it's pretty cool. It is. And what I love about what you're saying is that the thing you're most passionate about is what you turned into your culture in your company. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it's not as lucrative. <laughs> so that's how much I love you know, seeing people happy. <laughs> we joke about it all the time. The bullpens, the bullpens are a much different <laughs> model, you know, of course. I mean, you can never replace being around high energy, high velocity uh, conversations, the just the even if you're senior, the things that remind you to do in a business that's all about humans. And so, of course, the cost model is going to be uh, different. However, uh, it, I, I, I don't care. I don't care. Uh, what, it makes no difference as long as we, we can pay for ourselves, of course. And, you know, uh, right. but, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it all goes down to your, to your why, you know, why are you in business doing what you're doing? And that's, that's really it. It's your core value right there. Absolutely. And that's how it happened. I was on sabbatical and, uh, you know, the founders and I, you know, we didn't have many more companies going on and I was exhausted. So it was time to take a sabbatical, but I just kept getting the phone calls from people that I love and adore. Like, what are you doing? We got to do something. <laughs> what are you, you know, I don't want to work out in the world without our community. What are you doing? You know, phone call after phone call. So finally I was like, okay, let's, we got to do something because I miss you all too. And, and so I'd say 90% of us have, we've 
I've worked with the team before um, with some capacity of one of the companies. Yeah. Nice. So Daytree, what keeps you motivated every day? Exactly that, that my happy people. I am, for whatever reason, high, hypersensitive to sadness and, uh, you know, people feeling bad. So, uh, and I know what's going on in the world. Every day I'm thankful for, you know, what I have. I, in fact, I'm hyper in tune with that. And so I like to be around people that are happy. So what really motivates me is having a business where we all can have our livelihoods and take care of our families and be uh, powerfully positive. That really excites me and watch people transform their lives by, by gravitating made more towards the, you know, love in the workforce, you know, uh, when that happens, it's pretty cool to watch. So um, I, I like watching people love their jobs. That's my favorite thing. Cause we all have to work. We mm -hmm. all have to work. So there's just nothing better than that. And because I come from making big money, doing big deals, you know, taking, being a part of why companies go public, doing deals with VCs, I know that you can have high productivity in tech and have love and compassion in the workforce. I know because I've done it my entire career and we've printed cash, you know. <laughs> so I know it can be done and uh, therefore I won't I will not tolerate anything other than that at all and that's work for me that's what I focus on that's where I spend my time is my is our culture mostly I mean I create sales ideas all the time however I don't execute <laughs> anymore it's the first time I don't execute necessarily uh, but really my time is culture thinking beautiful really nice so, Deidre, you know, there's a statistic that many small businesses will fail within the first year of business. Where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong and what advice would you have for them? Sure. Well, I can tell you that while I haven't failed, uh, where I've struggled is, uh, is uh, doing too much at once. Right? There's lots of entrepreneurs. Are, we're visionaries. Uh, some call us, uh, what's that? When um, unreal, uh, uh, gosh, not unrealistic, but uh, anyhow, I'll think of the word in a minute. My point is we're always coming up with new stuff. And so uh, I, see, I see that in for me, and I would imagine it's for others. Um, and I would say um, fear of risk. You know, lots of entrepreneurs have great ideas to stomach the financial risk is I find I see a lot of entrepreneurs pull back too fast or not, not, uh, you know, really know how to utilize their, their cash correctly. And usually that's from a sales perspective. And typically, in, especially in tech, most of the entrepreneurs are technical. So they, you know, really lack the sales side of things, which is why I think that happens as much as it happens. Whereas uh, I see sales, that's what I see, I mean, you know, the, which is solving a problem and like really understand that there's a problem that exists, you know, versus I think there's a problem that exists because this would be cool to make. Like, is the problem really there? I can go talk to those people and know if it's really there. Um, and so I think people... Uh, entrepreneurs fail a lot on the sales side of things and really knowing that there's a need and that, that, that there's a community that will buy what they build. Yeah. That's a very interesting perspective. And 
my background, I'm a techie, so I can definitely relate to what you're saying. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I see it. I see it a lot. And, you know, we really need to have both. So I have to rely on technologists uh, for sure. Although the more senior I've become, I've gotten better at uh, even being able to handle that. But, but certainly could never do it alone. Could never do it alone. No way. Got to have both. That's to the point where you need uh, synergy. You need collaboration between people. Yes. yes. And my technical successes in terms of sales has been because I've been, you know, tied at the hip with technologists and we love working together and get stuff done. Yeah. So Deidre, I love what you've got going on here. Where do you see yourself taking this, let's say in the next five years? Absolutely changing how job searching is done uh, for any profession. So uh, that is the disruptive technology that we're building. I can't take it. I can't take it. I mean, the, I, the, the agency had been open for two weeks and I was sitting with sales, uh, listening to calls and uh, had been on with career builder and monster learning. Cause I'd left staffing for eight years and went into software, just sort of figuring things. And I thought, Oh my gosh, this is so bad. This is so bad. The digital era has changed made it so much worse. It was already pretty bad. And so that's when I, my brain went, oh no, this is, we're doing this wrong. And I came up with what I've come up with. And so I plan on completely transforming how job searching is done for all professions. We're going to, we're going to illustrate it in cyber and, uh, and then it's going to be, everybody's going to mimic it. So. <laughs> that, yeah. that, no, that'll, that'll be the best thing for of yeah. the world, right? Yes, I can't wait. It's so disheartening. I mean, I've talked to the most brilliant people on a regular basis. My agency does all day long. And we can't, I mean, we're still, even though we're the largest, and you can only help a small portion of the population that's actually job searching. It's, it's so mind-blowing to see executives and VPs and directors take six months and what happened to find something and what happens to them. I just, I can't take it. I saw it right away. It's, it's socially, I, I say this all the time, like, okay, if the pursuit of happiness, when is it if it's not for these professionals? It's, they're miserable, yeah. you know? It makes me crazy. So I really believe that two things will happen by disrupting how we job search. Uh, because it'll be so easy and because it's going to change the game so significantly that companies that don't treat their employees correctly or don't have the, the, the intention of retention, they're going to lose their people so fast that they're going to have to. So right now, you know, a whole team leaving is sort of impossible. <laughs> fast forward. I've seen, I've seen it happen. <laughs> it happens, but it's very rare, right? When it does happen, it certainly wakes people up. Uh, so, you know, I believe that if job searching is made simple, like truly simple, then, and, and people who are qualified and interested can find each other fast, uh, then cultures will have to completely reboot how they function. And that's what we need because it's not changing fast enough. There is way too much emotion in the space and blame and pointing fingers versus we have a plan. We all know what we're doing. It's really hard to fail when the plan's detailed. 
you know? And so the easy solution for everybody before my solution comes out is start making measurable agreements such that you can really work with people and lose the emotions and the blame. It always comes down to, you know, we thought you meant this, or I thought you said this, uh, it all, and that gives power to those that have it to wreak havoc on a culture. And uh, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of watching it. <laughs> that, goes, that, that goes to communication 101. Without a doubt. And, you know, when do we teach that in, in your master's or your computer science degree or your engineering degree? Where's that course? And, and, and even if there is one, is one enough? <laughs> I don't think so. The, we, you know, gone are the days, you know, when I first got into technical staffing, January of 1994, I was trained to, and I play software engineers specifically myself for years and years. I was trained to ask, do they, will they be in the back room or will they have to interact with people? That was, that was literally number one job order question. And, uh, and so that, of course those days are gone. All we do is talk to each other, even as software engineers. And, uh, and yet where's the classes on how to talk to each other? It's fascinating. Uh, it's fascinating. So that's why I'm out there giving these classes. I'm getting these classes certified by IC squared and SANS and I'm going to make videos as fast as I can, but it's, uh, it's really crazy. It's so crazy. It's funny. It is. And by the way, I started my career as a computer programmer and I sat in the back room programming. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. Right. It's, it's fascinating. Now, now geek is chic. So lucky you and lucky me. Yeah. So Daytree, if you could rewind the clock, let's say 12 months, would there be anything differently that you do? Oh, just in these last 12 months or anytime. Yeah, I thought about that. Um, I think that two things. One is um, actually take legal advice. So I want to say this to entrepreneurs. We all seek it. Do we take it? <laughs> I've watched this even with my friends. Uh, number two would be um, I'm a big fan of trust. And there's only been two times in my career where that has been a problem for me, which is when I made it blind trust versus trust and verify. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of trusting in people. But those are the two things that I'd say, you know, the, the, the two times where I look back and I say, gosh, if I would have made that, if that would have been different, that would have been nice. <laughs> but that's really it. And when I say legal advice, you know, we're all signing all kinds of contracts with, you know, all kinds of people. Uh, and uh, I, in general, prefer to take the, the easy, you know, sort of we're all going to do good business. But that doesn't mean that's the way the world works. So anywho, uh, those are the two things for me. But I have no regrets. It's more advice, you know. Cool. So now we get to my favorite part, which is answering questions from the audience. Sure. We actually had a whole bunch of questions come in because what you're doing is a really important mission and cybersecurity as, a, as an industry, it, it's a very hot topic and a lot of people are concerned about uh, security. So we got a lot of questions in. Uh, the first question is from Donald Perlman. He's a CEO of Blue Dog Graphics in Hackensack, New Jersey. And Donald writes, how safe are Apple Mac computers compared to PCs? Are there different cybersecurity procedures for Macs? 
Um, how often should antivirus software be updated and how effective are the antivirus software? Lovely, lovely, lovely. So great question. Um, so neither are safer than the other. It's really the, the person behind the keyboard. That being said, there are less Macs in the world than there are PCs. And so um, the Macs aren't on the cusp of attacks compared to the, the PCs, which is why everybody feels like they're, they're less vulnerable. Uh, so for example, Christmas last year, I got a malware uh, attack um, and it's, you know, Christmas, of course, I'm, you know, our least, our, we're, when we're most vulnerable and I clicked on it and immediately saw the skull and bones, right? And oh God, calling my cyber team and thank gosh, it was, um, you know, uh, an attack that was not made for a Mac only because they were going with the biggest hit, right? Sort of the the, 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 you know, the larger scale attacks are not necessarily made for the Macs because there's just less of them. So it's less of a return for the attackers, right? That being said, they have to be updated. You know, they have to, they, they all have to, you know, get the same love. Um, and uh, therefore it's, um, it's less about choosing one or the other and more about making sure that we're, you know, the people behind the keyboard know how to use them. <laughs> <laughs> and that we're still updating and configuring and, you know, they all configure and need passwords and need updates. There's just less Macs so less of the more, the attacks are less geared towards the Macs. And as soon as we say that, there's probably be some Mac attack or something. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> don't find comfort in that is my point. <laughs> Good point. So when you see that pop up on your screen asking you, do you want to update Windows or, or Mac? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Always. Yes. Always. Yes. And for the antivirus question, um, you know, my, my, uh, Nordisk virus pops up every day. It drives me crazy. That's important. Um, but it should be set to automation. You know, the vendors have, you know, gotten smart and, and if you've got, uh, things set up to automation, um, and you should be good. They release, you know, like two signatures a day at this point for our endpoint solutions all automated great thanks yeah okay so next question is from bruce lee ceo of integrity facility service in dumont new jersey so bruce asks what cyber threat concerns you the most where does the responsibility of private firms begin and end in cybersecurity? Sure. I love this question because my answer is not going to be what anybody thinks. So <laughs> the number one threat that concerns me the most is our shortage of talent. Mm -hmm. It's a national security issue. We don't have enough defenders and specifically the lack of women is a massive, massive problem in that uh, we've, all the studies have been done. Do we need any more studies that tell us that when men and women work together, we're much more productive? Uh, never mind the fact that if we have, since we have such a big talent shortage, if we groomed our girls to think that tech and cyber was sexy and uh, interesting and that they could do it and all of those things, then we wouldn't have this national security issue and we wouldn't have to be going to other countries and training other people uh, to supplement. And so to me, the biggest threat truly, literally is the, 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 the talent gap. We are, we are outnumbered. It's a massive problem. 
Mm. You know, you're right. It's counterintuitive, but it makes perfect sense because if everybody were fluent in cybersecurity, it would be a non-issue. Exactly. Exactly. It's pretty mind blowing, you know, and we literally are going and training folks that don't, you know, even speak English. And I'm not against that. I'm, I'm saying, how about we do some more here? Because you know where our, our young girls are going when they're graduating school? So I've got a Berkeley grad. I've got a um, uh, NYU grad that never thought of tech. They never thought of cyber. And when I met them when they were just out of college, it was, well, why would I think about that? I'm not a programmer. This is, a, this is a massive problem. And now they're thriving in tech. I have, my cousin just graduated from Harvard and um, she's going to Salesforce. You know, I mean, <laughs> so we're starting to see some of it, but uh, man, most young girls are, are, are told that it's not the place for them. And so either, or, or math isn't for them. And then to make it even worse, if, if, if you don't like math or if math isn't for you, well, then there certainly is no other job out in technology for you is really the message we're sending. And the reality is there's sales, there's marketing, there's leadership, there's project management, product management, all that have nothing to do with, are you great in math? Did you do well in computer science? And I want to see a lot more girls go into math and computer science. I absolutely do. And I want to make sure that there's, the, the, the other girls know that there's, if that doesn't really work for you, if we're selling it correctly and it still doesn't work for you, there's all these other jobs. And if you have both, you are golden. <laughs> you know, So I promote that too. So that's the number one um, uh, answer there. And then for private firms, you know, the responsibility is definitely with the firm. This is not a compliance, you know, this is, security isn't about c compliance and regulation. One can make it about that and, and, and yet, when they feel a breach, they're going to wish they didn't. And, uh, and so what I, what I say is that, you know, it's, it's about taking security seriously from cradle to grave to minimize risk. And whether you're private or public, it should not matter. Um, it's about building safe, safer pacemakers, building safer automobiles, you know, eventually, eventually, you know, becoming breachless. Why not? Let's strive for that. Let's understand that. Whether we're private or public, let's figure out how to do that. This isn't going away. It's over. We are now all in tech. And so when I say we need to reframe, I think one of your listeners asked that question, what did I mean by the tech community needs to rethink what it means to be in tech and cyber? Is that it's not just whether or not you have a math background. It's everybody is in tech now. And we, we all have different roles within tech. We need to think that when I mean, we're all in cyber, we need to think that way. It's only going to become more of a need, not less with IoT. Yeah, absolutely. And security begins and ends with us. That's really, that's really what the answer is. Exactly. Exactly. Great. Okay. So our next question is from Gary Jean Lewis from Rockland County, New York. And what Gary asks is, I would like to know if you offer entry-level training programs within your company for someone who has a master's degree in organizational leadership and who has a great interest in the cybersecurity field. Wow, cool. I don't know anybody with that type of degree, so I'm certainly interested in talking to that person. I would love to know what, they're, what they've been taught, and uh, I think that's fascinating. It's awesome. That's awesome. I would love to talk to that person. So you have to send them over to me. Yes, I will uh, hook you up with Gary. Yeah, organizational. 
Love it. Okay, so our next question is from Lisa Samataro, founding partner of Keller Williams in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And Lisa's the one that asked that question that you mentioned earlier. So in your bio, you note that you were hired as an entry-level college graduate and you believe the tech community needs to expand its awareness of what it means to be in tech and to be in cybersecurity. So right. can you explain what you mean by that? Give some more color. So I, 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 my title has been sales and then it became, you know, CEO and CEO of tech companies. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I don't have a math degree and I don't have a computer science degree. And so my point is that we need to recognize that there are um, folks that can be very valuable in the industry who don't come from math and science degrees. And so that we get more folks interested in checking us out. Uh, I happen to fall into this. This was by accident. You know, we don't have time for accident. We don't have time for every once in a while a, a young woman figures it out <laughs> or somebody helps a young woman figure it out every once in a while. There is 1% female leadership in, uh, in the executive level in tech, 1%. That's pretty scary. 10% overall, all any position in a company being women, that's crazy. It's just nuts. This is where all the new money is. This is where, you know, freedom lies, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And we're teaching uh, our youth that it's not for our, our young girls, that it's not for them. So I want us to expand and recognize that all humans, certainly young girls, there's a place for them. And yes, encourage them for math, but don't, just because they don't fall into that loving it, don't discourage them from tech. Or don't, or help them understand that there's still stuff in tech for them. Now, you know, engineering reports to me, software development reports to me. I don't have to have done that role to have that impact. And and the folks that work for me like working for me, and we're successful. And and you know, it's not just once. So it can't be because I know math, because it's not. That's not, the, that's, that's not how I got here. <laughs> that's, that's a great point. And if, uh, so two other questions that Lisa has. Yeah. Is, what are the three most important things a business should do to protect itself from being hacked? And question number two is, I've heard repeatedly that using smart devices in the home create vulnerability to hack. Can you talk about that, please? Interesting. I'll have to ask you that one again, just in case I, I uh, cause the first one was uh, uh, a great question. So what are we, what are the three things we need to do? So I would say definitely, since we've already discussed that it's people and this one I didn't prepare for, uh, <laughs> is training, right? Training, 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 um, from, from payroll to C-level, um, you know, we, we need that. We need lots and lots of training. We need to know where our data lives. That's, that's the number one thing and know where our most crown jewels live because we can't predict everything. Uh, there is no such thing as hundred percent secure. So in my opinion, know your crown jewels, know where, uh, you, where that data lies and, and really make sure that that data is highly productive protected. And, um, and then we need to respond to, uh, to the needs of more budget. Unfortunately, uh, we've got a lot of people unwilling to release the budget for security still today. And so I, I see that and I can tell uh, based on the, the stress levels of the current employees that, you know, 
there's going to be a lot missed when you're overworking your cyber professionals. Uh, eventually, that's a vulnerability, and I see it a lot. Uh, so uh, I I think that you know off the top of my head, those are the three things that I would give today. If I had time to prepare, it might be a little different, but not much. <laughs> Great. And the second question, I've heard repeatedly that using smart devices in the home create vulnerability to hacking. Can you talk about that, please? Small devices in the phone. Sure. So as we add IoT uh, devices, our refrigerators, what, our coffee makers, our, I know I can change my heat and my cold and my place in New Hampshire, it's life-saving. So everything becomes more complex and those are all uh, secure, now security, security vulnerabilities and they have to be managed. You can't just uh, leave them. You got to have cyber hygiene. And I, I'm, I'm really hoping our vendors that are creating all these devices get better and better at sending literature and education on cyber hygiene. For sure. And that's the first time I heard that term. Is that a new term? Well, our CSO, Don Glavich, it's one that he uh, speaks about and is in one of his books. So uh, I'll, I'll give him that credit. So yeah, it's a nice one, right? Because we all brush our teeth every day. I mean, it needs to be as basic as the, you know, our hygiene routines. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, the patching and, and password stuff has just got to be like brushing our teeth. I mean, mm. the basics. Yeah. Yeah. Like not using default passwords and things like that, right? Yep. Yep. Great. Okay. Uh, next question is from Claudia McDermott. She is the executive director of BNI in New Jersey, Northeast and Newark. So Claudia writes, every week it seems there is some data breach somewhere, government, healthcare, business. As security gets smarter, so do those who would breach that security, whether for financial gain or just like climbing a mountain because it's there, just to show the world that it can be done. We all have business data that needs to be protected. We all have personal information that we don't want others to have access to. In an ever-evolving world, is there any way to continue to safeguard one's information? <laughs> that's awesome. There's lots of ways. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, there's lots of, you know, it falls back to where's the data. So I'd say, what are you trying to protect? Otherwise, you could be protecting stuff all day long, especially personally. You know, what do you really want to protect? Where is it? And once you know that, um, I think focus on encryption. You know. Especially, you know, we didn't talk about cloud yet, or maybe we will, maybe we won't. I know we're running out of time, but, you know, encryption, encryption, encryption. Uh, that is beyond know where your risk is, know where your data that you want to protect is. I would say encryption is the best way. And, um, you know, you're, you're protecting the data, not the systems. That's the focus. Focus on what the data is that you're protecting. For a long time in cyber, we've, we've been focusing on systems more than data. It's just starting to change. People are just starting to really focus on that with the risk focus. Great point there. And question number two from Claudia. It's easy to feel that everything has been invented when it comes to tech. We now carry a computer in our pocket. We're using 3D printers to create organs. One wonders, what can possibly be on the horizon in the world of tech? I know, right? I keep, I've been saying for years, I want to live as long as possible because I just got to know. It's fascinating. 
Although I'm sure the things that we're going to see are pretty scary because as you said, we're printing body, body organs. So I think, I think if we're at body organs, it is definitely going to be a trip to see what happens in the next 20 to 30 years. So my goodness, I'm, those, of, those of us that are, you know, sci-fi folks, I'm, it's fascinatingly scary, actually. Yeah. Okay, our next question is from Barbara Noyes, a police officer with the South Nyack PD in Rockland County, New York. So Barbara asks, how can individuals keep their data safe and what should they do when getting rid of a phone or a computer? Got it, right. So encryption is going to be key. I mentioned that already. When get ri getting rid of your phone, you can um, go to settings and have it wiped, which is really, really important. And it's right in your settings. On a laptop or a PC, it's much, it's, it's a little bit more work. Need to, um, you can download a free product. I mean, the one that comes to mind is, I think, um, Dcam, Bcam or something like that. Or, oh, oh uh, D-Ban, D-B-A-N. And that will help make sure that you wipe your computer. So you got to wipe them and the computer's harder to do than the phone. And then encryption, figure out what data you're trying to protect and uh, in, in, uh, encrypt it. Great, and I just learned something. I mean, in over 20 years in tech, I never heard of that tool, so that's, that's awesome. great. <laughs> awesome, awesome. It's, there's also a DOD, um, uh, or it's a DOD underwrite, if I'm, is, I think oh. that overwrite, yeah, so. Deidre, I know you're a busy gal. We're going to let you go. But just before we do, how do people connect with you? CyberSN.com uh, is, is our website. I'm at uh, diamond at CyberSN.com. I, I give out my email. I uh, usually respond within a week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and um, happy, to, happy to engage with folks. Great. I'll put that in the show notes so people can just click on it and go right to you. Awesome. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, Deidre, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? I would reiterate that people don't come to work to fail. It uh, doesn't mean that they're doing what they need to do. It means that they need to be led with very clear, measurable agreements and, and therefore they most likely won't fail. And then uh, please, 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 let's uh, get the word out to, to young women and women in, in, in other fields today or want to go back to work from being a stay-at-home mom. There are lots of jobs in cyber. It's going to take training. It's going to take going to school. However, uh, as we all know, time flies and uh, there's great careers here. So uh, please, let's spread the word to, to, to women and girls that there's great jobs awaiting for them. Awesome. Deidre, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your time and your wisdom. I really appreciated having you. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Love to come back when, when, when uh, we launch our solution here that's going to revolutionize employment. We definitely have to get back together. Absolutely. We'll be doing a sequel. Awesome. Awesome. Uh -huh.